We're recording inside the Cohab Podcast Studio space under the Texas Street Bridge by the Red River in downtown Shreveport, Louisiana, and this is the 3180 Podcast. What is going on in the 318? What is our current identity? Shreveporters can make this place into the city we want it to be. It's time for Shreveport to make a 180. Every Thursday, we are having conversations about doing just that. We're talking to people who are making the difference in our city. I'm Josh Clayton. I'm Thomas Young. Welcome to the 3180 Podcast. Tim Wright with Reform Shreveport, employee of Verdunity. Tell us, tell us how you came to Shreveport. Well, um, I went to school in East Texas uh, in Longview uh, to Laterna University. I uh, went to engineering school there. Um, I grew up in, in Allen, Texas and um, went to school there. And when I was looking for jobs, I ended up working for an engineering firm um, before uh, working for Verdunity, um, and they had just opened up an office in Treeport, and um, a lot of the companies I interviewed for in Dallas, they said I'd be designing suburban subdivisions all day, and it seemed really <laughs> kind of repetitive, and and some of the projects I'd be working on in Treeport just seemed a lot more interesting to me, and so um, I took a job here uh, with an engineering firm, and so that's kind of how I ended up here right after school. So, cool. How long have you been in Treeport? I've been here for four years and moved here in August of 2015. What projects did What projects did you find of interest that you got to work on in the last few years? Um, in the last few years, um, when I first started working, there was like a, a GIS project that I had worked on, where the city basically they take all of the water systems in the whole city and they they basically geographically map it and they use that to better find mains when there's a leak and plan plan their system in a more data-oriented way, and so that was really interesting to me, and just some of the conclusions um, that you might find, and like, oh, like this is this is how our, our system's laid out, here's how we can make it better, especially in a city that, you know, needs a lot more money to pay for all the infrastructure we've got, and how do you find some efficiencies in the system to kind of make it, make it work better so you don't have, you know, a lot of the current issues that we have, and so I just found it really interesting. I found that engineering and problem solving. Um, there's a lot more in-depth kind of problems and solutions in a, a city like Shreveport as opposed to maybe some of the growing suburbs around Dallas. Um, so that was kind of what, what interested me. Um, also when I when I interviewed in my <coughs> at my previous job in Shreveport, I just uh, I interviewed downtown. My I've office and lived downtown ever since I've been here and I just felt it was really unique. Um, I grew up in Allen, Texas, which is a pretty, pretty typical suburb, about 100,000 people. Um, and I just found Treeport to be really unique, and I got involved. Um, a lot of the historical stuff was really interesting, and so that was what kind of, kind of drew me here, and what's what's kept me here. So, um, so you work for a company called Verdunity, mm-hmm. and they're located in Dallas, mm-hmm. but you office out of Cohab. I do, yeah. Are you the only Verdunity employee here in Treeport? I am, yeah. What does Verdunity do as a whole? Um, so we do, um, we're a planning and engineering firm, um, so we do comprehensive plans for cities, um, we also do engineering projects. Um, we have a really f- uh, real focus on fiscal sustainability, and so um, my boss, he's, uh, his name is Kevin, um, he's worked for really large firms and he saw, um, he got a lot of experience around the world and he kind of saw some ways in which he thought that engineering and planning could be done in a in a more environmentally sustainable way, a more fiscally sustainable way, and so uh, he started his own firm. And so um, we're playing an engineering firm, but we have a real big focus on 
um, implementing projects that um, have a more positive impact on communities. Um, sometimes that's not always the case when it comes to infrastructure, and you can really do a lot of um, kind of, you, they can have a lot of negative social effects um, on cities and negative fiscal effects too if, if, the, if the engineering solution is essentially too expensive for the municipality that has to pay for it 30, 40, 50 years into the future. And so, um, and so that's kind of what, what we try and implement in our projects. Um, we also kind of do studies for cities that help them, you know, pay for, um, <coughs> that help them figure out how to pay for infrastructure improvements and kind of do that in a more fiscally sustainable way instead of, you know, there's cities all around the country. Um, I mean, you know, the suburbs are doing well in the Dallas area, but the city of Dallas, you know, it's an older, older city. We, we kind of like to look at the Dallas area as really successful and oh their infrastructure is great but you know you get into the older the older parts like Dallas itself and the first ring suburbs and they have the exact same problems that Shreveport does and so um, kind of our specialty is really focusing on how do you kind of turn those places around to get them kind of on the right track again. Well here you are on the 3180 podcast and uh, you, you write for Heliopolis mm-hmm. And we'll get into why you started Reform Shreveport, but I'd like to I'd like to talk about a couple of the articles that you sent me mm-hmm. that you'd written. One of which I think was in 2015, mm-hmm. and one one was about the differences between Texas Street and Market Street as a as uh-huh. a as a walkable, pedestrian friendly versus interstate type street, mm-hmm. and um, and the other one was about say cultural identity, and you mm-hmm. broke that in that particular article. You broke it down into um, uh, a couple of I don't know. We're going to post them, but that you know, mm-hmm. you, you, I like the way you framed it, and I like the way you structured it. So, what prompted you to write an article about your experiences with Market Street versus Texas Street? Yeah, yeah. So, um, in that article, so when I first moved here, um, I lived in the United Jewelers apartments right there on the corner of Crockett and Market Street. Um, Market Street is is a DOT road, and it's a one way street. I think it's three or four lanes wide. And, um, for, I, for our listeners, can you d- explain what you mean when, when you say Department of Transportation road? How does that differ from some other type of road? Yeah, yeah. So um, all roads are either they're either property of the state or property of the city. And so um, the ones that are property of the state are, are managed and funded and um, maintained by the Department of Transportation. And so most of those roads, um, actually all those roads really are more highway type roads instead of your local type roads. Um, and so... Um, being a state highway, um, you've got a lot more truck traffic. You've got um, you've got more lanes. In that case, it's one way. You've got a lot faster speeds. And so um, I lived in United Jewelers Apartments, and I worked up at the American Tower. And so both of those are on Market Street. They're about three blocks away. Um, and I did that for I guess three years until I uh, moved apartments. But so just um, for use, folks that might not be familiar with downtown Shreveport, I've, yeah. I've lived in United Jewelers and I've been to American Tower plenty of times. So you walk out of the front door of United Jewelers and you're on you're on Crockett, but really you just kind of cross over Crockett and you can walk straight down Market. Yeah, yeah. And you're walking north mm-hmm. and there's five lanes of traffic coming at you mm-hmm. southbound towards, um, you know, towards Urie Drive basically mm-hmm. coming through downtown. Um, and you walk three blocks up, and then you have to cross market to get over to the American Tower. Right, right. Is that, so that was your daily walking pedestrian commute. Yeah, that, yeah. That's also between 220 and 20. It is. Right? So you have 220 coming in, people coming in at 220 from the north, trying to get to 20 to go east-west. East, west. Yeah. Right, right. And they go right through the middle of downtown, 
which is not doesn't make you feel comfortable as, no, a, no. as a pedestrian. Well, and you can, yeah. you can also access 49 southbound coming from 49 northbound. Right, from 20. You know, from 220, yeah. You yeah. hop on North Market, go down. So mm-hmm. it is a, a conduit that, that connects three different interstate systems, really. Right, yeah. Yeah, and it's a very important, you know, corridor, but, you know, when it comes to, uh, you know, to biking and walking, it's it's not, not the best kind of street. And so I didn't, um, and so I kind of used that, I used that example to kind of uh, frame in people's minds, okay, this is, you know, this is a more car-oriented street versus Texas Street, which is a much more pedestrian-oriented um, street. And so I used that article to kind of, um, kind of get people thinking about, okay, like what, like, what kind of assets do we need in our city to kind of encourage what we want? And so um, when I moved here, Rhino wasn't here, the lofts weren't open, um, some of the other storefronts down there on Texas Street, particularly in the, I think it's the 700 block wasn't there. And so, um, but that that kind of area since I moved has been a platform for a lot of um, small businesses and Rhino Coffee, and as opposed to Market Street where you can't really get that. And being car oriented, I noticed um, that Along that, like most of the structures or buildings are car oriented. Um, there's Barksdale Federal Credit Union. There's a couple parking garages. Um, there is one. I think it's called the Petroleum Building. That's right next to, and I think maybe one of the old Caddo jails or something like that. It's right there on the corner of Market and Crockett as well. Um, and it's got it's got a nice storefront to it. It's got a, a garage and a and a driveway entrance, but it doesn't really make sense to have a kind of pedestrian oriented business there because you've got cars, you know, speeding by. And so, um, yeah. So in that article, that's a similar issue with ML bath. What was a, uh, printing, uh, stationary office furniture. Yeah. It's like a printing business for uh, like a century almost. Um, but it's, it's again, they have a loading dock in the back where, People came in and out, and they presumably had salespeople that went out. It's not like you don't do a lot of walking in on that street. Yeah, yeah. I actually went, I met with a guy that owned it. That must have been a couple of years now. And he was telling me, you know, about everything. And they used to have multiple locations. And I guess Market Street, they used to just end right there at the railroad tracks. And so it was a much different kind of environment back then as opposed to now. And, you know, it's, um, you know, it's just kind of not, it's not conducive to some of the, the developments that are happening in other parts of downtown. And so, and so that's really kind of where my, I just am really interested in the way that the built environment affects, affects the economy, affects quality of life. I think there's a, there's huge connections between that. And so, um, yeah, I just so that, really that particular article goes into depth about, you know, Market Street, engineering, Market Street, architecture versus Texas Street architecture and, and the way the sidewalks are laid out. So kind of go in depth a little bit more about that particular article and explain how you see that formulating a basis for other, some of the side streets. You know, obviously we, we might not be able to do that to market mm-hmm. um, or spring, maybe maybe spring, I don't know, but where do you see the implementation of, of, of the positives on Texas Street? Where do you see that implementation going in in the rest of downtown? Um, I think just kind of mirroring mirroring what has made Texas Street successful um, and trying to replicate that onto other streets. Um, I think I also mentioned an example in there uh, about Milam Street. Mm-hmm. And Milam is, man, like the whole the whole stretch of that is really nice. Like you've got all these small little storefronts and especially as you get close to Common Street. Um, 
and I can't remember all the exact details of what I wrote about, but... Um, well, it's the depth of the sidewalk, yeah, and it's the, the creation of um, some green space, but, but primarily just tree canopy. Right, yeah. Yeah, tree canopy especially makes things a lot a lot cooler, and um, where I live now, I also, I also walk a lot uh, on Milam Street and Texas Street, and... Um, you know, like there's a huge difference when I'm walking in front of uh, the United Methodist Church parking lot on the, I guess it's the east side of, of Common Street where there's no trees as opposed to Milam where there's there's buildings, there's trees, you know, just the, the environment is so much cooler, especially during the summer. And so um, I think, you know, when we talk about improving downtown, those, those pieces of the built environment are super, super important to, you know, making a city that we you know, want to see. Um, well, and, you know, how does that affect the economy? I mean, I guess translate that to some folks that are listening that don't really, maybe they just don't understand the connection of walkability to a more thriving downtown economy. Yeah. Um, well, I think the kind of just the way that, the way that it feels is a big, is a big part of it. Um, I think just the density equation uh, also can be a huge, um, a few, have a huge impact Um you know, the more the more activity, human activity you have going in a particular area, the more you know, the more businesses you have, the more um, tax base you have, and I think a thriving downtown is really important in that in that way. Um, that's part of what I do through work too, is is um, kind of analyzing uh, tax revenue data and using that to see that you know, okay, like the denser parts of our city really have a huge a huge impact, and just the the interaction with people too. Um, in the Chase Boydum episode, um, I was thinking about how, and I, I work at Cohab too, and so just the fact that he can use Cohab as a kitchen for his bar that's right across the street, and I mean, it's I, I call it a street, but it's, you know, it's a, there's a bridge over us right now, and like that would not be possible if he was in a different location. Like he couldn't have a, he would, maybe he'd have to have, you know, a, storage for his food, you know, somewhere in his building or just the amount of like opportunities for different, you know, different businesses that have, that need each other. Um, that's, there's so much more possibility for that kind of working together in a, in a dense environment where you don't have some of those barriers, like a large market street that prevents you from walking across very easily and efficiently. Well, what solutions do you see, uh, that you could bring to downtown and, and I've, listen to the Verdunity podcast and I've listened to the Strong Towns podcast and and what is Strong Towns what is the message that they bring to a town like Shreveport and in a way to improve the town like what does how did you bring Strong Towns here and tell us more about reform Shreveport and how that um, how some of the discussions that that you fostered through having an event here in town how those could lead to a better Shreveport yeah so um Reform Shreveport was started um, back in 2015, um, back about the time that I was uh, that I was writing articles, and I had a lot of people just saying, "Oh, like I really like your kind of your ideas, and is there any way to kind of like talk about them in a broader a broader platform?" And I met a few folks like Chris Lyon and Lavette Fuller, and we kind of got together, and Luke Lee too, um, and we kind of got together and we said, "Hey, let's make let's make something out of this. Let's." Um, you know, let's host a speaker, let's do some projects to kind of um, continue some of the things that I've been writing about. And so um, we hosted Strong Towns 
um, in 2016. Um, and we, we used that event to, he gave a presentation, he spoke with some city, city leaders, um, and with Strong Towns, the, um, the president of Strong Towns, Chuck Marone, he's a civil engineer too, and he's used a lot of his, um, a lot of his career to kind of uh, inform the way that he thinks about uh, the way that cities develop and the way that they grow and the way that their economies grow. And um, so he came here and he spoke to a lot of uh, individual groups, a few neighborhood groups, um, and a few city officials and city staff, and had a had a keynote presentation here, and just talking about the way that um, that the way that Shreveport develops has a huge impact on economy and quality of life, um, and so. And yeah, we use that as a as an opportunity to kind of jump into some other reform projects. Um, one of Chuck's um, big kind of points is like find the next find the next best step forward. So you know, when it comes to improving your city, like it's really easy to kind of look at these really large solutions and try and attack them. But a lot of times, it's hard to to follow through on that, and it's hard to tackle um, some of the big issues. So he said, as a citizen, just just find like one find one issue that you can like take some small steps to um, to tackling, and so um, we use that Strong Towns event to kind of inspire us to get started in Highland Park, and um, we've shared that all across uh, Facebook and all that, and we've been um, using that as kind of our our pilot project to um, kind of bring a better anchor to that part of Highland because there's a lot of there's a lot of issues in Highland, and so. And we thought that improving that public space and making it more safe and improving it for the people that already used it. Um, we put a lot of improvements for, uh, for disc golfers in there for, uh, we've improved the, and I say we've improved, we, <laughs> the, the city had some money to spend on Highland Park. And so yeah. we, we were talking with them and enabled, enabling them to, um, to spend the money in the, in the smartest ways, kind of mimicking the desires of the community. So we did a lot of community surveys in the blocks around the park, and uh, making sure that what the city spent money on was was the right thing. Now what they want? Yeah, exactly. Well, what now? What do they want? Oh, what, man, what did the, the surveys reveal? They well, they revealed that people wanted more safety in the park. Um, Accomplished by lighting. Yeah, lighting. So, um, Swepco they uh, made some improvements in there. Um, they wanted um, something some like physical marker that kind of set Highland Park apart from other parks and that was one thing that you know when people thought about Highland Park they just thought about you know either crime or you know oh that's dangerous and and so what we we kind of talked over with Spar was that you know you need kind of some kind of marker some something artistic something um, something that you know set Highland Park apart from other parks and so um, Katie Martin from Spar, she helped design kind of a really cool, actually just went up a couple weeks ago, little arched um, sign that says Highland Park and it's it's unique to, from what I've seen from all the rest of Spar parks and um, so that was one thing Play, a new playground was another thing that the equipment that was there was really old and so, and since, since they've done those improvements um, there's a ton more people using it um, we've gotten feedback from a lot of people that say that the park is a lot safer. Um, the disc golf community, they um, they worked with SPAR too. Um, SPAR funded a little bit, and the disc golf folks were able to fund some improvements to their equipment and basket upgrades and all that. Um, so just really, really connecting people is is what what we're about in, 
you know, connecting people in order to create a built environment that's more effective. And that that's the park that's on, is that Highland? Uh, it's on Gilbert and Gilbert. Olive Street. Okay, so Gilbert, Olive, and what's the what's the back of it? The north, uh, the back is Cody. Cody. The okay. east side, and then Wyandotte. But it's kind of at the, it's on a, you kind of go up a hill, uh, and it's, it's there's a hilly section. They've just there's a real hilly section. I ran a 5K through there. there and there's and <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. But there's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so not hilly, pleasant. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff that they they added uh, like paved uh-huh. walking. Yeah, they like okay. That, yeah, that was a big thing too. The old path was super. It was falling. It apart. was yeah. It was not paved at all. It was or it was gravel. Yeah, yeah. And and those guys came in and and I saw them. They did some work, Chris Line, and I talked about it. But it was like. It's also uh, allows the people in the neighborhood to use the park as a, you know, maybe they have front yards and backyards, but if you can move people into that space, then they can say, hey, we we all don't have to, you know, go to our houses to do things. We can all come out and meet here together in one space. Mm-hmm. It's got good trees, so it's, you know, I mean, it's uh, it's south in the summer so it's probably hot but you have some cover there uh a little bit like um what's the one where they have highland uh, jazz fest which what's that park Uh, called columbia columbia but it's it's kind of that same it was probably built at the same time Mm -hmm. it's got uh columbia i think has some structures on it Mm -hmm. which this park does not that i Uh, know of there's well there's a pavilion and yeah, but that's about it. But it's a pavilion and a uh, playground and then yeah. open green space. Mm-hmm. That's what it is, yeah. So, What has reformed Shreveport? Were you all involved in the, in the Charos? Um, a little bit, yeah. We, tell, uh, tell about those. Yeah, so we've been, we've been involved in active transportation for a while. Um, I've, you know, ridden a bike since I was a kid. Um, I did a lot of mountain biking in high school. Um, when I moved here, I got involved with the organization Bike Shreveport and um, went on their kind of group rides and got involved in some of their advocacy efforts. And so, um, and so, yeah, the sheriffs you're referring to, the city, um, uh, Patrick Furlong, uh, he's awesome. And he's, he's also a, a, a biker too. And so um, the city over the past, I guess, couple years has been implementing bike infrastructure and uh, as reform, we've kind of um, we've used that as a as a really positive example of the city uh, responding to feedback, and I've written several articles about that. And it's kind of in line with Highland Park in the sense that um, you know we're looking for ways that that businesses and citizens and government can all work together in a more efficient way. Um, in the case with um, with the bike infrastructure. Um, the old old city engineer Robert Westerman, um, they came up with an initial bike plan. There had been um, folks, uh, Stephen Peterson, he's kind of the main voice with Bike Report, and he's been super involved. Um, and um, you know, he kind of started all these conversations about you know bike lanes, and there was really a growing number of people that wanted that. And so um, the city, they came up with an initial plan, and then they had. Um, they had a lot of input meetings. That's actually where I met Lovett and Luke. They had one at Art Space, um, right about when I moved, and um, they kind of came up with that plan. And I guess the parish initially did the plan, and then the city had to implement and pay for you know some improvements that 
that the parish-wide plan had kind of recommended. And so the city had some recommended bike routes and they had, and this was before Patrick was on. And so I think um, their initial plan kind of wasn't really, it wasn't super based off of like folks that rode a bike regularly. Um, And so initially their plan was, well, let's not do like, let's do a bunch of one-way bike lanes that are in like a huge loop around the city instead of like one or two streets that you can go both ways. And um, they presented their initial plan uh, to the public and (laughs) most of the, most of the biking communities is like, that's like, that's not really going to be effective if you just have like a big you know, three mile kind of loop, like, like, like an inner loop, like a two twenty inner loop. Yeah, like an interstate for bikes, but one way. Right, <laughs> like it just because if the thing is, if you get on at one spot, then you just have to go all the way back around. It makes come a lot back. of sense. Yeah, yeah, really. yeah it's. I don't know why they didn't do. They should have. They should have hired an outside yeah. consultant to spend a million locally, dollars figuring that out. With, with yeah. the bicycle community locally, is there a? I, I came from Austin, where they had. The Yellow Bike Project. Are you familiar with Yellow Bike? So Yellow Bike, very briefly, originally was uh, some guys, they would take old bicycles, paint them yellow, you know, as a group. It's like you would go out, you know, because people always have old parts and that kind of stuff. So they would paint them yellow. And then anybody in the group, you could ride the bike and then just leave it outside. And then if you saw a yellow bike, you'd just pick it up and ride it where you needed it. And it was... Sounds like communism. Well, well, it is. And then you you take, you know, then everybody can essentially use it, right? So it's, yeah. it's you know, everybody agrees. Like, like if you, you see a yellow bike that's got a flat tire, fix the tire. If you see a yellow bike that somebody threw in the ditch, get it and put it where somebody can see it. Anyway, that also they were able to fund a facility where people okay. could donate. Like, hey, if you got old bike parts, your kid doesn't ride his bike anymore, bring it over will teach people how to maintain their bicycles and it's a it's a co-op so you also communist it's yes. a co-op where you you log time and and as much time as you log they you get credits so if you have a bike or you want to build a bike you can go there and volunteer for six hours and you can apply that six hours credit to you can go into the bins and pull parts out that you want to use so i know a lot of people enjoy that and they also have projects that they do for people who maybe just want to learn to you know they have a class to learn to rebuild your tires or wheels or any of that stuff peterson's done one of those at great raft before like he'll he'll put all that well and this is this has this is a specific you know it's a place so all that stuff goes and then at christmas you know they have a big fundraiser time fundraiser where it's like hey everybody come in and they build bikes and then they give them to kids and they have like a Mm -hmm. hey last year we did feel like x amount of bikes so let's try to do more this year and then you know does shreveport have enough hippies to make this happen well (laughs) probably not but but the bicycle community is is very like they want like a bicycle is it's not mechanically it's not very difficult um to to work on as long as you know what you're doing like when uh who are we talking to about bicycle tires was that I don't know, but the, the city also put oh, out maybe some repair, like some repair stations where you can air up a bike and yeah, fix a, yeah. Yeah. You know, do minor repairs. But if you don't know how to, you right. don't know what any of that stuff right, means. Right. Like if you go to, uh, I know Whole Foods has one because all of their, of course, yeah. their their places have <laughs> communists. Yeah, um, <laughs> where all the hippie shops. Yeah, right. Exactly. But they have 
uh, you know, tools, right? Yeah. So you can go there and use their tools. That's to encourage people to ride a bicycle to their store right, to right. buy stuff. And, but that's not uh, – if you don't know what the stand does or what the tools do, then, then right, it's – Right, right. But I, I, I did – I haven't seen any – poster or advertisement for that but I do remember that Stephen did something at Great Raft it was like learn how to fix your bike and I thought that was a really cool thing um, but uh, anyway so that that whole conversation was about Cheros and, and that right. they've and popped up on Marshall Street they've popped up um, what other streets have them now? Uh, Crestwell has them um, yeah Milam and Crockett and and yeah the, the kind of role that um, you know Bike Shreveport does all of their um, kind of their events and they do those tune-ups and all that but kind of the the process that is reform we really want to look at is like what was the public process and getting back to that one meeting that the city had where they had a plan and then they got some response from the community that was like this is really not what right, we want right. and credit to the city like they they went back to the drawing board and they they changed what they were going to do to something that more accurately represented the needs and wants um, of the citizens and so and so you know, I saw that as a really positive example um, and way that something that the city could model in, in kind of the efforts that they're doing to put in infrastructure around the city. And so, um, and so, yeah, I kind of focused on that and advocated for, um, for you know, more bike infrastructure, whether that be the Sharrows or the dedicated bike lanes, and doing them in the way that, like, really makes sense. And there's a lot of kind of um, disconnected pieces around Treeport, like, before this, these last round of sharrows, you had kind of a corridor through Highland up Gilbert, and then you had um, along the river, you have these Red River trails mm-hmm. that lots of people use, but they could be part of a system, right, that all connects to each other, but three years ago, they were disconnected, and credit to Patrick when he was doing his, um, when he was doing his plan, like, there were a lot of the plans that said, well, let's just stop at Market and Spring Street, because we don't want to go past that, but, you know, credit, um, credit Patrick for seeing like oh look like if people are using this recreationally they might go along Gilbert Street to downtown and then might go from Crockett all the way to the river and then hit that other trail and so they put up signs um, to kind of show bikers like oh this is like the different ways you can go um, to kind of implement bike infrastructure in a way that's a lot more it's a lot it just makes a lot more sense um, not to you know put down what Bossier City has done in their downtown but you know, they're, the bike lanes that they put in, like, it's what a lot of, like, cities that have more money are doing, mm-hmm. like, as far as, like, protected bike lanes, and they've got kind of their own system, but it's, they're, it's like a half a mile, and there's not really anywhere to go from, from here to there. They're just kind of very, it's just a mile, and that's well, it. Well, I think they did that so that the communists could be more easily identified. <laughs> that's right. We put them in one lane, and you can just drive by in your car and point at them, and you'll know who they are. Yeah, I think it's a great idea. So let me ask you about um, some radical ideas that are in Walkable City that I've heard thrown around, um, thrown around Shreveport, pie in the sky type stuff. What? And let's take Texas Street for instance. We've got um, there's no turn lane, so we have four four full lanes and then these parking lanes as well, mm-hmm. right? So in, in Walkable City, the book that we've talked about before, I know you've read it, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and I have it, and I've thought about reading it. But they, they, what would you do to Texas Street from First, Baptist, First Methodist Church to, um, say, the courthouse to make it a more walkable street? Well, I would seriously think about um, just making it a three-lane street, like one lane in each direction and a turn lane. Um, 
half half the time when you're driving down Texas Street, you're in you're just in the right lane anyways because there's a lot of people in the left lane waiting to turn left, and so if you did that, you'd also have room. Um, I mentioned I went to school in Longview. Longview has angled parking in their downtown, and it's a lot more cozy, has a lot more cozy feel to me. And with the angled parking, they can actually fit a lot more parking in there. So if you if you took away, I mean, if you think about it, if you took away the four lanes from Texas Street, made it three lanes, then you'd have, you know, um, you'd probably have six or seven feet extra room on both sides. And so you could, you know, for a downtown that, you know, is claimed that we have a parking problem, I think that's a little bit, that's a little bit off. But um, the DDA's done a study that people just don't want to walk more than a block. <laughs> We're lazy around here, which um, is another issue in itself. But you could get more parking in front of, in front of Rhino Coffee if you converted those parallel parking spots to angled parking spots. And so that's one example that I think would be... Do, do you give yourself even more room coming off the sidewalk for a bike lane or a walk or the... Can you make the sidewalk mm-hmm. wider and have the angle once you get rid of a lane on each side? Um, I don't know if you could if you could do that. Um, you, you could certainly keep the parallel parking and add a protected bike lane um, okay, or or the angle part. Okay, I do remember hearing bike lane plus the parking, and then one lane going one way, one lane going the other way, turn lane in the middle. Right. So and that that's called a street diet. Yeah, yeah, okay. a road diet. Yeah, road diet. And yeah, and again, it just depends on what you kind of want to do, and if if Texas Street is is designed in a way that makes that kind of encourages cars to go slower. Um, that was another thing I wrote about in that first Heliopolis article mm-hmm. is that. When you have roads where there's, like Market Street, where there's no traffic, opposing traffic coming the other way, there's no like visual kind of noise to get you to slow down, um, then you tend to drive faster. But if if Texas Street were kind of redesigned in a way, now you don't get a, a ton of people speeding down there, but there are some. Um, but if you redesigned it in a way that was that was skinnier and that you have to pay more attention to your surroundings when you're driving it, so you slow down. It actually might not be bad to just put sharrows on there, because if it's a slow enough street, then it's comfortable for for bikers to be with traffic. Um, and again, that's that kind of plays into the decision of um, you know should you put a bike lane, should you put sharrows, depending on the street. Um, one of the reasons they put lanes on Gilbert instead of sharrows like they did in Cresswell is because Gilbert tends to be a more highly trafficked route. Um, I think there's less stoplights, and so in that in that case it's a little bit safer to put the bikers in their own, you know, in their own lane right. instead of mixing with traffic. So those are just some of the kind of decisions that, that go into it. Do you know of any cities that have implemented the street, the road diet, t- changed from parallel parking like we have in downtown Treeport to an, an angled parking? And have do you have any examples of that? And if so, have any of them increased their uh, commercial appeal? Well, I know Lower Greenville in Dallas, that's a big example close to here. Um, I'm not sure if they converted their parking into angle parking, but I know that they did a road diet, and I think the main thing that they did was the sidewalk space. Um, they have very wide sidewalks on Lower Greenville. Right. And that's, honestly, when it when it comes to Shreveport, that's a huge asset that we have. Like, our sidewalks, like, think about it. They were our, we had enough room to put, you know, sidewalk cafes on our sidewalks, and there's still plenty of room to walk. Like, that's a huge asset that we have that a lot of other cities don't. Um, but in the case of, of Greenville, um, Greenville in Lower Greenville in Dallas, um, um, 
there's a there's someone on Twitter I follow. I can't remember who it is, but she just showed kind of the cost of that project and the amount of positive businesses that have responded to that. And it's just when you create a place where people want to be, then you know you have you create a lot of opportunities for businesses that thrive in in those kind of uh, walkable mixed use environments. All right, so Dallas is like this easy big brother, and, and you get into that in your other article about identity. And um, mm-hmm. I've had a recent conversation with a friend of mine in South Louisiana that makes it a point to say that we need to quit talking about Dallas because it's it's not it's not us, and we're not yeah. Dallas. Mm-hmm. And I told him, I said, well, we're also not New Orleans, and we're not South Louisiana. We're we're just not. So right. I, I will say that I'd Dallas, say we're much more Longview than we are. Right. In any of those other things. Like, it's a, it's a small town. We, we have some infrastructure. We have much easier. Um, you can you can go a lot more places from here than you can't. Longview, you're kind of between two places. Here is kind of the hub. Oh, yeah. but, right. but it's still our identity, I think, is much closer to that, even though lots of people want to pretend that it's something else. Right. And, and I, the identity discussion is something I, I want to get into. Um, I mean, I, to some degree, that's part of the reason for the podcast is to right, right. D- discern some level of an identity for the town. I think there's a lot of small towns around Louisiana that have figured out their identity a long time ago. And I don't know if Shreve, I think Shreveport had one at one time and maybe lost it along the way. But the, um, I want to come back to Lower Greenville, though, because I don't, to me, I don't feel like I'm in Dallas. And okay. to me, Lower Greenville is not, it's Dallas, right? It is. But it's not, and they have the, the population benefit of it's, a huge it's population. Huge, it's not Dallas. It's Highland Park. It's it's Highland Park okay. adjacent. It is, you a know, gentrified. Th- it is yeah. very gentrified. I mean, those houses, when I went to college, I went to right, SMU. Right. And when I went to school there, it was like you could get a, you could rent a house over there for, you know, 1200 bucks for a three-bedroom house. Now, every one of those lots is zeroed out. There's a multi-million dollar home on each one of those lots. There's very little uh, rental space there that is not uh, corporate. You know, we're going to fit as many of these here as we can. This is the debt we're going to service. This is how we're going to, like, it's just a very, very commercial, like, they're making you feel like it's not, but it is very much like a commercialized here feel like this version of what we actually have, which is a small town, like yeah, which right. is what I think what you're saying. But those are locally owned businesses that are up and down. That's you know mm, the. I mean, it's, this is kind of humorous because you know, and the article I wrote about well, we can't look to Dallas as an example, and then. Well, where's a complete street? Oh, yeah, look at Dallas. Like, that's kind of another example. And I'm from Dallas, so I kind of veer that way a lot of times. But I think we do – I think this is always going to be a challenge for us. I think I think in some ways Shreveport kind of has an inferiority complex. And we're like, man, we haven't grown in population for so long. And I think a lot of that – now, there are a lot of factors, like, outside of our control that – I mean, let's face it. Like, I look at Texas, a lot of cities in Texas is, like, kind of – the boom towns in California, you know, in the sixties, you know, it's just, it's just a population trend. And once that trend gets going, like it's hard to stop. And so there are a lot of factors that are outside of our control, but I think when it comes to like finding examples, um, to kind of learn from, like, I think we have a ton of things like in our own city to kind of look at. 
Um, I mean, I look at um, this one thing I've talked um, to my boss a lot about when he visited. So he did like a, a workshop back uh, before I worked for them last year. And then I started with him and he's been here a couple times. And, and some of the things, you know, he looks at are that he sees as really positive is like, like Key Mexico yep. and um, Fat Calf. And the way that they've been able to, well, the way that our, the way that the systems that we have in place, um, those systems being um, like the farmer's market in the case of Key Mexico, there was, there was a system for them to move from just a table at the farmer's market to scaling up to a food truck, to scaling up to a small restaurant, to scaling up to a little bit bigger restaurant. There was a way and a process for them to slowly scale up in a way um, that ended up leading to their success. Um, in the case of Fat Calf, um, you know, there is a way for them to, in Red River Brewing, that was the perfect spot for them where they were able to incubate their business and build, um, kind of build a customer base and find out how to do their business in the right way before, you know, now they're moving to their own building. Um, and there was a system and process so that they didn't, you know, I know there have been previous restaurants in that same building on the corner of Kings and Cresswell that, you know, they're new restaurants and they open up and it's just too big of a scale for them to, um, for them to. Growing too fast, thinking that, that you have a need to be a certain size without doing the data collection to figure that right. out. Absolutely. And, that, and I think that uh, we've talked about that. We talked about it with um, Randolph and those guys, and, and they were just saying like, oh, you know, it's very difficult to, to make. We spoke specifically about uh, the old wine country location becoming sort right. of a, a, a kitchen incubator for, for, hey, we've got one big kitchen to, to basically set up pods for people to try out their ideas. However, you need a culture that has a, a identity that is, hey, if you have some food ideas, come over here and try them. Yeah. We like to come out. We like to try the food. We like, And I think we may be a little bit, again, that may not be our identity. Our identity may be more, uh, hey, we really like, we like key, and that's great, and they're going to do that over there. Mm -hmm. But uh, if you're, if you, what you know about Treeboard is more superior grill than it is Key Mexico. Key Mexico is kind of like a family small thing, and all of those guys have worked. A lot of people have worked, and maybe that's the thing, like superior grill where, where, People come from out of town to go there, mm -hmm. uh, and it's something growing up, people, you know, love that place. That was and, the first place. When I live in Longview, that was the first place I went with Superior and, Grill. Right, and, every, and so and maybe— Everybody told you to go there, too. Right, but, yeah. but you know, Rodrigo worked there. Mm -hmm. uh, I know a lot of people uh, that have worked there. Uh, Taco, Taco Mania. Taco Mania he, sprung out of that. Gabriel. Uh, Bel, Gabriel Balderas. Balderas. He worked there. It's the steakhouse or the other the I, one? think that he worked at the grill I may be incorrect yeah. about that but either way yeah. the, the you know that is basically the incubator like those guys go there and see hey I see what what's happening here and I think I can do it over over there right. now I'm sure there's been some some people that tried and, and didn't make it but that's that that's the nature of, of that right. thing that if you have a certain idea uh, I think Jared talked about that. It's like sometimes you think you're going oh, one way and then oh, you yeah. have to pivot to go the other. Um, yeah. 
but but I think Red River could do, could do something very similar. It is, um, we were talking earlier about the uh, Bossier East Bank. Uh-huh. You know, like that's basically the same as Red River, except it's air conditioned. Right. Yeah. Well, mostly air conditioned. The yeah. the part out the, well, the art studio is not. But and and again, and that's where I kind of come back to you know how is the built environment? How is that like giving people the opportunities to be successful? Bossier City, I think what they did with their kind of it that road used to be four lanes they cut it down to two they put more sidewalks in i think their sidewalks could be a little bit larger um but but they've got bike lanes and they've got they've got a platform and this is strong towns language here but they've got a platform for building wealth and that's kind of what strong town says you know your street should be a platform for building wealth um not just for moving cars like there are roads for that but when it comes to economic health you need to have some some public infrastructure that's a platform for building wealth and i think that's kind of like the secret sauce when it comes to Bozier's downtown when it comes to the red river district here like you've got you've created a built environment you you drive up from the back then you go into the space and that's a big uh, walkable city thing it's like you want you want the cars to be able to move freely and easily but you want them to be having a destination to stop at exactly. to get out and then feel comfortable to walk around and you right. need you can't have too much open space cuz it feels like you, you don't you, you're you're too exposed right. and then you can't have too little space cuz then you feel confined yeah. there's a balance between that and it's not like that's something we don't have metrics on or know and with the Bozier thing when you put 200 people out there it's like uh you know, Jason Brady and I spoke about this, and he was like, it looks like Bourbon Street out there. It's full. People are walking around. Right, right. There's, you know, there's and cars Tim driving. Huck, Tim Huck said people attract people. Like, right. And, and, and when you oh, go yeah. and there's 200 really and a whole lot of people, but when you no, see that but, many, it's but like, if oh, you my had God, 200, this is the place to go. If you had 200 people on Texas Street, just like what you, what you mentioned and you mentioned often is during prize week, that's what it's like, and and that's right. the that's the thing. If you can, you know, I think the the if you could go over to say Milam, and then in, like there's always going to be foot traffic during the week because of the courthouse there. That you just you you have nice old trees there. It's you know, but people have to go there. It's like they're not right, right. coming downtown to like you know go hang out at the courthouse for fun they're either working there or they're engaged in some sort of legal matter that that takes place there but next to that the johnson building uh slattery building like all those the right. the bus station all of that area could be transformed into something where totally. 200 people made it seem hey what's going on over there let's go see all the people from the uh Lee Hardware and, the, you know, those living spaces, they could all walk yeah. there. And then it's a little village just the same as because I'm sure that people in there's not a lot of people walking to the Bossier East Bank District. No, they they drive there. up and stop. Their destination is there. And they Bossier's not, and they're they're not trying on. to get gouged for parking over there either. It's free parking, isn't it? I, uh, there's parking lots in the back. In the back, but they're free. But once you're there, you don't care where you had to park. Like right. when you go to Film Prize, you don't really care where you parked in downtown. Right. You lock your car up, and then you walk to the party. Right. You know, I, I saw a designed district in Little Rock a couple of weeks back. Same okay. way. there, You drive up down the street, and you see all this cool stuff going on, and you're like, 
oh, well, I could park on the street. Oh, where are these parking lots? And so you find the parking right. lot, and you don't care where you park. You just park, and then you walk and join, the, you know, all the other stuff that's going on. It's a small district, far, not far, but a little bit outside of downtown. But it's yeah. kind of like the East Bank district. You know, from, from downtown Shreveport, it takes a couple of minutes to get there. You can park behind it, and then you're walking all up and down a cool space. Well, and that, too, the parking situation, like if you go – the place I noticed this was in Denver. Their their parking garages are are right. camouflaged. Like you Fort see Worth's the like you too. see the sign, and it's like oh the big P that means drive in there. But right. you don't just see cars parked. Which yeah. I mean again this is that's not where you know we're nowhere close to having that issue. But we do have right. a lot of parking garages like you, you know Tim you just said on uh, Market Street there. There's a bunch of parking garages right. and they're they're. Most of those are contract parking for people who come downtown to work. But if you had something similar, like the Crockett Street, you know, if that was the place you pulled into the Crockett Street parking garage, the old Selbers yeah, building, yeah. and then you were able to park your car there, you were able to go to right, the courthouse, right. you're able to go to the Strand, you're able to go to, uh, you know, any of that area, the distillery, the, you know, any of that stuff. And it's walking two blocks. And again, I understand it's hot. But I think in Walkable City, he he says that that's that's something that everybody always says, like, oh, people are it's it's Seattle. It's too rainy in Miami. Yeah. It's too hot. <laughs> like and they do it anyway. Yeah, because it's walk, yeah. it was hot in Shreveport in 1935. Yeah, exactly. I'm pretty sure my right. uh, I think my grandfather wore a suit to work every day, yeah. you know, and he was a contractor. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I that, mean, yeah, it's it's the. The metrics become, oh, nobody wants to walk more than, uh, you know, two blocks or a block or whatever. And it's like, of course they don't want to. But if if they had services they did, to right. get to, At they would, they would do it. Everyone had a car and a house. and a, Right. You know, right now thing. people get in their car. They drive from their garage to their garage. They go into their office. They're never well, exposed. And the example, I think, I don't know if it's on a Strong Towns article or something, but there's an example about, like, you know, if you go to Target, you park – you walk up, you walk around in the store, you're probably walking five, six, seven blocks in that one trip. But there's stuff going on, so you don't think about it. That's right. what downtown needs. Right. And and that's and I think that's what the Bozier, you know, their thing is set up where it's not it's not a vast space. There's a lot to do in a right. short amount of space. Where you were saying that the bike lane there is uh, very specific, and it but nothing leads to it. However. If someone wanted to go and develop a small neighborhood there that was for people who, that, you know, wanted to work and then, you know, ride their bikes over to the throw right, an axe yeah. and eat a taco and uh, get a beer, like they, they have that okay. infrastructure built in. And I think that's what you were saying about you, you build, what's the the term? You, like incrementally? No, no, the, the for platform. The plat- platform oh, for, for building wealth. Yes, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think, and to just to kind of on parking in downtown, I think, well, I think Shreveport down, Shreveport's downtown, like, I think there's so much space, I don't think we know what to do with it. Yeah, I, <laughs> I agree. So, let's, let's talk about downtown parking. Yeah. I mean, you're like a civil engineer, and you've actually read <laughs> this stuff and studied the stuff and have studied yeah. other places, and, and you're not from here, so you're not entrenched in this, like, Shreveport mentality of we park in front of the place we want to go to, and that's just it. Mm-hmm. So, like, what do you see in downtown Shreveport, or what do we need to do Education-wise, or maybe it's an aesthetic thing. Maybe we need to put more signage out or make parking lots more attractive to people. 
Like, what do we need to do to educate people about the amount, the, there's the sheer amount of volume of parking in downtown Shreveport? Well, I think, I think. I, I, I just, I, let me say yeah. one thing before you get started. I think if there was something to do here that was not work, you know what I'm saying? Oh, no, no, like, I, like, I know. But, like, but, but, but there you, are what, things like to you're, do. You're, well, there is a lot to do here that sure. is work, and you and I know how to navigate downtown because we both lived and worked downtown. I know which streets are one way, and I know exactly how to parallel park, and I know it's super cheap to park at a meter because I go to court all the time, and you put, like, two quarters in a meter, and that'll get you an hour. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, like, so, you know, I, I don't like I don't like the uh, – I wish I could park at a metered spot and spend eight hours there, and I'd be willing to pay 10 bucks for that. Like, right. so I don't have to worry about it all day. You but can by just not paying the meter. They give you a $10 ticket, 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 and, ticket and, and then you pay it. And and I worked at a place where that's that was literally, it was cheaper to park, get a ticket, give the ticket to the receptionist, and at the end of the month, she would pay everybody's ticket. That was cheaper than paying for parking in, <laughs> yeah. in downtown Austin. So, so what would you do as a civil engineer? And I, I'm giving you a, a, a budget of a billion dollars. You can do whatever you want to do. But, okay. like, what... And you can't add more parking garages. Right, right. But what would you do with existing existing infrastructure to make, not to make parking easier, but to make our parking situation perception a little bit better? Okay. Um, I think, well, I think the first thing I would do, like strictly focus on parking, would be to find out some way that, I think it's Douglas Parking, they have a lot of garages, there's systems parking, they have some surface lots. I think there needs to be a way for them to be part of whether it's cost sharing and this you know the city works with them to like make those garages public during certain times or we've got tons of parking and when it comes to them it's probably just the cost of having to have an attendant there um, during their non-work hours you know not during nine to five on monday through friday um i think that would be the biggest you know and that's that's more of kind of a programmatic change than something you could build um I think I think that downtown should have there should be some like market style activity going on all the time. We have the farmers market on select Saturdays during you know um, you know during the summer and during the fall. We have uh, the DDAs. Um, they have their art walks you know every month where there's like there's economic activity going on during this uh, during you know uh, during the evenings. But I think that. There needs to be something like that going on all the time, and I think in order to do that, um, like on a large scale, like a, like a farmers market, um, not necessarily. I think I think there needs to be opportunities for small businesses to have a storefront, to have, you know, say the parking lot um, next to the old Sport Trans station. Like if there were a way to kind of to chop those lots up into smaller lots so that somebody could actually afford it. I think that's a huge problem is like we've got all this space in downtown but it's you know it's select landowners and there's but there's nothing going on right so like I think in order to change downtown I think you have to there always has to be like something going on and Festival Plaza is great but it's it's kind of one spot um, and I think that I think that if there were more opportunities for local businesses that need to sell stuff, I think if there are more opportunities to have like, you know, I know Texas Avenue had a maker's fair back in the day. I never went to one of those, but something like that where there's activity going on and there's interesting things going on that 
people are thinking more about that that's going on instead of oh I got to walk two blocks to you know to where I'm going um, I think that's a huge part of the part of the solution um, just to create more going on because there's just there needs to be yeah just more opportunities for people to have small businesses to actually like you know something that's approachable and that goes back to like the key mexico thing like they were able to get started because they had something really affordable for them to start i thought was talking with jeff everson uh texting him back and forth this was like a year ago but um and there's some strong towns articles on this too but talking about how um the standard is actually an example um in a lot of mixed-use developments you'll have these huge commercial spaces on the bottom but the company that owns the building they make so much on the residential that it, it doesn't it doesn't like it doesn't make economic sense for them to chop the bottom commercial space into a bunch of little parts because they're already making their money and so they're just gonna they're just gonna sit on that until until you know until a big enough you know vendor comes in that can go in that space but that's the same as parking right the I mean parking lots are owners holding that space until the development comes right. and they can then sell that space yes. and it the whatever they're making on parking is enough to keep one attendant you know to to park cars right, right which is is why i think that you have that issue with system and douglas they basically have been sitting on parking you know because i've i've had this conversation with with people in much larger places like los angeles or places like that and it's like if you know if I had a parking lot right now there, I would dump it because pretty soon there's nobody going to be parking. The cars are just going to drive around all the time, which is essentially, you know, right. you're going to go from Uber to Uber computer car to uh, essentially every car is just a subway car. You just walk out, just like I said about Yellow Bike. You just literally walk out to the street. You hit your phone. The thing stops. You get in it. It drives you where you want to go the car never stops and you're not going to need a car theoretically in in some future. Yeah. But that's what, you know, these, these parking lots that they are not incentivized to do anything outside. Like, look, we don't make enough money to open up on Saturday. So we just, (laughs) we just put the chain up and then, and then it seems like there's no parking, but there really is a lot of parking. It's just not accessible. Right. And, and yeah, and with the, with the commercial spaces, like, you know, Jeff, he managed or used to manage the, there's a bunch of office buildings in the second floor of the lofts. And he said that, like, when it comes to the smaller spaces, they can be, they cost more to manage. But in the end, you have people that fill those spaces up because they can actually afford it. And so I think we need, we need to find, find ways and that, you know, you have more smaller spaces available for different individual vendors or someone who needs they're not in their office all the time, but they need some space. Um, but do it in a way that it makes sense for the people that actually own the building to be, to it has to make economic sense for them to do it as well. So kind of finding so those. That's solutions. that's how we fix the parking. Yeah, <laughs> that kind of, that, yeah, that. that I mean, in your mind, there the is parking, no parking problem though. Like there's no part, and, and I don't think there is either. There's not enough activity, I think. Okay. Well, increased <laughs> like activity to, brings more people looking for parking spaces, and but, then. But on on the on a maybe a Fourth of July or Red, know, Red, Red, Revel, Revel or yeah. anything like people come down, they fill up those parking lots, they walk to the event, they walk back to their car, and they drive home. And Regions is open for some of those right. activities, but 
The casino I, lots are open and free, right? right? That's true. Yeah, I mean, you could you There's could come down if if you want to come to Shreveport. This is a PSA. <laughs> Park in the casino parking garage. It's free. You can walk anywhere from there if you're from a place where walking five or six blocks is not, you know, like you can do that. You can come here. You can park in that right. lot. It's free. Like, you, hey, free parking. We got free parking. That's another yeah, thing you we got. You can bring your bike and bike the five yes. blocks. Oh, yeah. You can absolutely drive in there, park your car, and then ride your bicycle around all day. You know, I mean, if you worked at Parish Taco, you could park on the riverfront, ride your bicycle there, you know, and work there all day. Right. I do think, you know, if you were if you were thinking about solutions to like make parking better, I do think it would be a benefit to have one or two public parking garages managed by the city if you had some, you know, bond money or whatever. Like you should build a couple public, you know, garages, I think. I think that would help a lot of things, but in the end I kind of come back to sure that would help, but right now I think you just need more activity. And I think if there's more activity, then maybe, you know, all these parking garages that Douglas owns, maybe they're like, oh, there's people that will actually park and then they'll open up their garages because. Yeah, they all, have they, all they need to see is like, hey, people want to park here. We're going to make we, we can finance the guy to sit there and let the people in and out. It makes sense. Right. That's all you have to do. But again, I'm not saying it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, all right, let's get to the other article that you wrote about the identity of Shreveport. Can you. Uh, can you go into the, how you broke that down um, into the metaphor and, and and kind of what prompted you to write that article? I really like that article, and I, and I think it, it's spot on. And so we're definitely going to post uh-huh. that to the website, and I'll put it on Facebook as well. Yeah, so um, that article came, you know, a couple of years after I had been here. And just kind of looking at the ways that people thought about Shreveport, the way that they looked to other cities to kind of, find examples from to improve Shreveport and um, and it was kind of it came out of that and I kind of used it as you know I think um, I kind of drew the metaphor and like look if you're a human being like you've got to have like a solid like identity and know like what you're good at you got to know like who you are and that's going to provide a really solid foundation for like enabling you to make decisions and so in the article I kind of said hey if if Shreveport's going to figure out how to improve and you know, grow in population, grow the economy. Um, you know, I think those are, you know, those are so important. Like, we've got to understand like like who we are. And um, you know, some of the conversations with with Jason Brady, like, I think business owners really have a really good kind of, uh, they have a good pulse on that because like, that's the only way he's going to survive if he knows what Treeport is and what you know what kind of market it is, so he know knows how to you know how to do his restaurants. Um, but so I kind of, I said, okay, Shreveport needs to know its identity in order to know how to grow and thrive. And then um, I kind of I kind of took, um, drew a metaphor between us and Dallas and how, um, you know, we kind of, they're kind of like a distant big brother and that like, we, we think they're really cool and we're like, man, I just like, I just want to be, be like him. But when it comes to like, oh, will that actually be me? Like, no, we just, we just can't do it. Like, it's kind of this mix between optimism and like, oh yeah, that's what we want to be. But like, that's it's unachievable like why why even try um and so i kind of use that to say like let's let's not try to be dallas like let's let's try and find our unique identity let's try and find what what we're good at what are our strengths and frankly what are our weaknesses because that's going to help us know what not to do right and and you also talked about things you found in shreveport in your early days here that made you really like it right right and 
and those are things that have, you know, I'll, uh, when I tell people that, you know, I've moved from Dallas, I get a lot of like, wait, really? Like you like it here? And, you know, part of it's just, you know, it's just more interesting based, you know, compared to where I grew up. Um, but I think just the smallness of community, like I see random people at the coffee shop, at the brewery, and honestly, I kind of like that. It's like, you're always going to see someone you know. There are some times when I'm like, oh, I just want to <laughs> go and be by myself. But, but most of the time, that's a really like positive thing. Um, it was really easy to get involved here. I mean, I can't, like, <laughs> I've been here for four years and like, when I think about like the amount of stuff I know, it's kind of ridiculous. Like, but I think that's not possible in like a Dallas or an Austin. Like, you really have that opportunity to get involved quickly and you know make an impact in whatever you're really interested in in Shreveport. And that so, there seems to be that if th- there is a group of people that wants to live in a small town, they do not want to. You know, the type of person that drives by the restaurant and sees a line up front that's like, "Oof, I don't want to go there. I don't want to. I don't want to stand there and wait to see what's going on in there." I haven't even heard anything good about it yet. That, that's kind of the person that's that's going to like a place like this mm-hmm. where you literally can show up here tomorrow and say, hey, Josh Clayton, tell me about uh, who can help me with this. Oh, we'll talk to Tim. Oh, there's t- hey, okay, let's – I'd really like to – um, figure out I need a parking lot and, I, and, I, and a building and this is my idea this is what I want to do here's how I'm going to finance it that's what do I have to do and then yeah we can connect you to those right, seven people and right, the, right and then no it's problem. and then you're but if you were to go to Los Angeles and you're like hey oh Josh Clayton didn't have any time to talk to me because he was doing 63 other things and you know there's there's a big city versus small city mm-hmm. Big city is a lot more um, fast-paced. Like, look, I don't, I don't really have time to do anything outside of what I'm already doing. It's I'm maxed out. Yeah. And, and here, it's like I don't want to be maxed out. I wanna, I wanna be able to go see. I want to go to the coffee shop and see a couple people I know, and and not go there to see them, but know if I'm there, I'm probably gonna see some people I know. It's comfortable. Right. Right. That's a that's a personality. Uh, yeah, identity, sure. and, oh, yeah. and and you you use that in that metaphor in that in, in the in the Heliopolis article that I'll post. Um, what was the, what's the title of that article? Um, it's called "A City Personified: Exploring Shreveport's Identity." So, um, so you you found some things here that you really liked, and you kind of grew to like them even more. And uh, and I, I appreciated that aspect of the article. And then the, then you move on to a question: What is there to love? And I think that's where you talked about that. Yeah, yeah, and just, you know, local bands, local musicians. I live downtown. I, I could walk to a lot of places. I love that. Um, I could walk to a lot of places, but it wasn't busy. Like, again, that comes back to the smallness. Like, um, that was really an asset. And, um, yeah, I just found that there was a lot of fun stuff going on, and it felt it felt manageable. It didn't feel like, you know, I don't know. It just, it just fit kind of my, what I wanted. Um, but... Yeah, that was that part and then kind of the conclusion of the article was kind of moving on to like okay so how do we take those how do we how do we take those strengths and I think I the title that magnifying the collective we I think I think in Treeport like we're small it's easy to get involved but if you're not you know if, if you're kind of don't have the avenues to kind of really make a difference I think there's a lot of people that want to make a difference and that want to kind of be involved and what I saw kind of is is 
a way to move forward is like like find ways to involve more people find ways to include more people because like everyone has their own like strengths and things that they're good at and I think that that's you know a big way I know Jason Brady I think was that he was talking about how like like poverty and education are like huge issues too and you know there's those are big issues in themselves but like again like finding ways that we can like help whatever that next step up is for for anyone no matter what you know socioeconomic level they're at like providing systems for everyone to be able to take that next step up mm-hmm. and like be have a greater um, kind of involvement in the city and contributing to the greater greater good of you know growing the city and like I saw that as really important and I knew that you know a lot of people kind of took me under their arms when I moved here and like hey like here come get involved here like just kind of magnif- you know continuing that that um, kind of that trajectory um, what project is it, what project is next on the reform Shreveport agenda um, we've got a um, we're hosting strong towns again um, coming up here in November um, they're uh, you have a date uh, yeah November 19th okay. it's a Tuesday um, you have a website doing, for that yet or a, um, no we don't have a website for that yet um, we'll get that on our on our calendar soon um, but uh, but it should be out by the time the by the time the podcast goes out so you can go to our our reform Facebook page and our website um, so strong towns is doing a um, they're doing a book tour and um, uh, actually Lovette Fuller actually wrote the afterword to that book as well oh wow and so um, so he's gonna come through here and give his little talk and and talk about his organization and what he sees as kind of some key steps to creating a stronger town um, and so we had that um, we're also we're also looking at a couple um, small projects we haven't zeroed in on, on one in particular yet but um, Marshall Street and the corner where well fed and Jacqueline's um, are there on Louisiana Avenue um, kind of finding ways to um, kind of make make that public environment a little bit more friendly and get people kind of interacting there's a lot of business happening on both of those streets I think there is um, and, and my office is two blocks away from okay. Jacqueline's yeah. and uh, I've talked to Grant Knuckles a little bit I've talked to Danny Martin for like a year he and Lindsay you know or the well-fed That's, folks well-fed, yeah. yeah and um, I'd like to get Lindsay on the podcast and Grant will eventually get on here as well but um, you'll have to go to well-fed into the kitchen to get the her right but yeah she is She's in there every in day. the kitchen that's the other thing I don't know we've talked about this I don't know if we've talked about it in here but if it, all of these places that seem to work have people in like in the place doing the thing right and that's I, I think maybe if we could figure out how to encourage people who want to do their thing to come here and check it out because you really can't if you really are passionate about Hey, I really just want to do this thing. It's, it's not super expensive to get started. People will help you. Like, I, I believe that there is a really a, you know, but it can't be. Hey, I want to buy that and then install someone there to make a thing. Like that doesn't seem to work nearly as well as. You know, hey, we're gonna we're gonna open. I mean, that's a yeah, that's I, a vegan restaurant, right? Yeah, it's a vegan yeah. restaurant, but I, I think. On Egan in Louisiana, and even all the way up to Stoner, um, some of that property has been acquired by some of the existing business owners. Right. Uh, I think uh, an, an exist. I'm not know if I'm 
privy to disclose this, but there's somebody that probably everybody knows who just bought uh, uh, the barbecue shop on Louisiana Avenue, the Flying Pig. Okay. So that's been acquired. I saw a truck out there today doing work on it, demoing the thing, doing a lot of stuff. There, there's potential in that area. Oh, yeah. and it, uh, It's also very similar in size to that to that Bossier area, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and, and like I think what your your point is is like making it friendly to drive up as a destination. You go right, there, right. you walk around to different right. businesses. And, and again, kind of making sure that there's always activity going on. And it's amazing like what, like I know on the, on the section between Stoner and Egan, you've got a lot of public buildings and I don't know who owns them, but like, again, they're just, they're just kind of sitting on them. And I think a lot of times we look at that and we're like, Oh, I guess we can't do anything. But it's like, if you just get some movement and this is what we've noticed with the city too, like, don't try and tackle your biggest, broadest goals. Like, just get some movement, and chances are, like, that'll kind of lead one thing to the next. And just, like, you know, tackle one or two small little things at Reform. We call that, like, finding the next best step. And just, like, tackle that, get it done, reassess, go on to the next thing. And we want to try and we want to try and kind of model that approach that we've done in Highland Park and, you know, and covered through all the bike lane stuff, but kind of model that in some other smaller areas, I think, you know, Katie Larson, her kind of little row right there is another good example. But just do some type of public project and event that kind of gets gets more movement, gets people thinking, oh, you know, we're not going to spend a ton of money, ton of money, but maybe we raise, you know, $10,000 and plant a couple trees, put a couple planters in and just, you know, do a few Let small me get John Paul that, out there, yeah. he'll plant oh, trees, totally. any, like he has the understanding of where to get these things, how to do it. Like, exactly. and all you have to do, literally just call him and say, yeah. Hey, tell, help me plant three trees. Oh, I've yeah. got a budget of X and he will be, he'll come down there with his rubber boots on uh-huh. and he, and he will literally <laughs> dig the hole and be oh, like, yeah. do it like this. This will be a fruit tree in five years. Right. Like, and he's passionate about that. That's a, like, I know he's running for commission. Yeah, he's commissioner in the category commissioner. So, yeah. But right. but uh, you know, I've seen his his picture around a lot more. But seriously, like planting trees, oh, yeah. like. Well, and he's helped us with Highland Park, and I've you know I've gone to some of his other projects. He's all over the you know he's all I, over the place. Yeah, but. he's super. But he's super passionate about oh, totally. tr- trees. But you know, anything that sustainable any, urban agriculture. Yes, anything uh-huh. that grows or produces something that you can potentially eat, he's very passionate about. Yeah. So, that, literally, just like tackle him in the street if you <laughs> if you want to do anything like that. I didn't want to go off on my Louisiana and Egan Street tangent, but I've been kind of obsessed with that in the last few weeks um, because of the activity that I know Danny and Lindsay are involved in on Egan. That they own not only their building but the parking lot across the street. And a couple of the other things around there. Um, I've got a place on Stoner that I'd like to see not depreciate. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's uh-huh. a, it's an old building built in 1917. I, I office out of there, and I don't plan on moving. And I would like to be able to sell it in 30 years for what I bought it for, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a revitalization of that Louisiana Avenue corridor could benefit that. Um, and, and I think somebody's going to do something with the village. The, yeah. I don't know if you ever got to eat there when it was still open, but it really cool space, um, real like I don't know, state little small little steakhouse vibe that could really be turned into cocktail, some some kind of some kind of cool lounge, and it's already got a history. Right. So uh, there's there's promise there. Um, it's it's 
interesting too that area is the freeway is right there mm-hmm. but it's you you've you, it's You're, it runs under that the not sure yeah like run line goes underneath right, right yeah. there there is an overpass is that that's overpass. stoner the stoner is the yeah because stoner here. doesn't but, cross line but that those are the streets that first the, the first exodus of downtown was the the Jordan and the Stoner and right. the Egan and Louisiana Avenue was a streetcar line and like, right, yeah. so I mean it's real easy access to and from downtown on Louisiana but, but Avenue. But it doesn't to, to go back to the the Market Street uh, Market and Spring like uh-huh. those are you know lit, those are federal yeah, they're highways uncomfortable to walk on. uncomfortable yeah. and that space feels comfortable because oh, totally. you can get to it very easily but you, there's and Very it, small probability that an 18-wheeler is going to go 40 past right. you. And it's, it was architecturally all designed prior to the automobile. Yes. Well, like, much like well, Milam Street and Texas Avenue. And like that little, you know, there's there's been a lot of groups across the country kind of like Reform that have done um, uh, Better Block as an example out of Dallas. But what they'll do is they'll use, they'll use like materials like wood and like basically um, like you could do a homemade roundabout at the corner of Louisiana and Egan where – Again, it and cars don't drive super fast there, but if you put like a little kind of structure in the center um, that would kind of encourage cars to slow down even more, and then you know if you're walking along instead of just a blank sea of asphalt, you're like, oh look, there's a little planter box in the middle of the road or something like that. You know, some some little improvements like that, I think could go a long way in that area, and it's it's comfortable already. It's not like we're yeah, <laughs> it's, it's not all, like we're it's trying already to from very scratch. walkable. Um, and, and comfortable with the neighborhood. And, and I think that's kind of, mm-hmm. you know, as we've talked about, uh, you know, downtown, like uh, like here at Cohab, like this is more, um, I don't know, is it like industrial feeling as opposed to like neighborhood feeling? Like like when you're in New Orleans, there's, there's a lot of um, – You'll have a house right next to a restaurant, right next to a parking lot, right next to a liquor The whole store. thing is mixed use. Yes, it's all mixed use. And and that, you know, over on Stoner there is like, like across from, from your building is the Domino's, right? Yeah. But it's, you know, again, some people go to the Domino's. Most people just call and they, they take it to them. But it's that next to, you know, a law office next to a house yeah and you buy a like, victorian house over there for a hundred thousand dollars fix yeah. it up and back when the village was open you could walk to the village you could walk to mabry house you can walk to monjuni's yeah you can order from domino's you know that and you could walk to jacklin's that's, that's but you, more you could, walkable than south highlands right? yeah but uh-huh. you could also be downtown in two and a half minutes yeah like yeah. you get in your car or your bicycle yeah. like mm-hmm. and go downtown to, you could be at lake street at uh, Kelly, uh, Katie Larson's in, in. Oh yeah, like on foot, ten minutes. Yeah, yeah, on a bike, five minutes. Or yeah, it's super easy. And then, you know, same with you know when they get the distillery done, very similar deal. Like you'll you'll be able like those places again will be separate but so close together. Like which I think is an asset that some people may think is like you know. Uh, developing too many different sections. Yeah. I think, I mean, I don't, yeah. <laughs> you, you could think that, but, I mean, I think it's 
if, as long as those areas continue to grow and a lot as long as I don't know you find like one or two or three concentrated areas and like focus on those and like let the in-between space be in-between space like maybe people will be encouraged to fix up you know the houses that are along there but you know find your kind of hubs of economic activity going on yeah um, that would be I mean you've got a lot of you got a lot of stuff going on there anyway right right the, yeah. the, the oh, yeah. Uh, oh yeah it's it's yeah. it's kind of it's real busy between 11 and 1 i mean you, right. there's people walking around and monjuni stays busy and and as does uh, as does jacklin's everyday at lunch um, how well do you know the history of shreveport have you had the opportunity to study the the kind of the urban sprawl that's happened since the 50s and the interstate systems yeah i've i've studied it a, a decent amount um, there's still man there's still a ton i'm learning but um, i mean yeah i know that i know that we've you know We've grown a lot. We've annexed a lot of kind of smaller, I mean, what, I guess Southern Hills was its own city at one point. I think the Cooper Road area was either a rural area or its own city at one point, and then they were annexed in. I know that we've kind of grown a lot and sprawled to the to the southeast with with a population that isn't increasing. I mean, <laughs> that's yeah. not a good story for, for anyone, really. Um but, well, from an urban design perspective, what what has Shreveport done wrong over the last thirty years, or from 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 your school of of education, which is completely different than me? You know, I, I studied accounting and I studied law. Like, mm-hmm. from a from a civil engineering standpoint, what could Shreveport have done better over the last maybe 30, 40, even back to the 50, uh, 50 year mark to to create a more coherent city identity? Have you given much thought to that? with the interstate systems and with the annexation of certain areas and now we're seeing a population decline is there any way we could have prevented some of that stuff or prevent it moving forward um i think there are some things that we could have done um i think a lot of it is i mean uh, a lot of it is because of forces you know outside of you know with gm closing i mean that was a big thing like i mean that's kind of that was one of those things that was hard to foresee yeah um i think well i think one big thing infrastructure wise is we, our water source is Cross Lake, and we're basically developing on the exact opposite side of the city, and that's putting a lot of strain, like on, kind of the the system that transports water from Cross Lake to down there. I think there could have been better ways to to plan ahead for that growth. Um, again, part of it is just is finding flat land that's easily developable, and there's not enough stuff there already. And Southeast Shreveport is kind of that's where that land is, and so that's how growth has migrated that way. You showed me some stuff on the computer last week where you can actually break this down by dollars. Can you explain that? Yeah, so at Verduni, we do um, we do uh, revenue per, per acre studies um, that kind of go into how much are you, how much taxes are you getting from the land that you have within your city limits, and how does that compare to the amount of um, the amount of costs that it takes to service those same developments. So revenue per acre and cost per acre studies. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when when the city develops in a way where instead of instead of like finding ways to make your already existing neighborhoods that you're already paying for infrastructure, instead of finding ways to make those, you know, to have more taxable properties in those areas, to have um, to have you know more sustainable economies in those areas. Um, so that the infrastructure and and infrastructure is only part of it. I mean, police and fire are a big part too. Like finding ways so that you're 
your the places that you're servicing are matching up with revenue producing um, kind of places in the city. Right now, there's just a lot of mismatch. Um, so let me just put this into perspective for listeners. If if you placed a grid, an acre type grid, on top of the of a map of the city of Shreveport, and you looked at each square within that grid, you guys, Verdunity analyzes what is the public cost per an acre of land. Now that we've got a grid on top of the city, mm-hmm. and how much how much revenue is it producing per acre, and how right. much is it costing us tax dollars per acre? Right. So the the closer into the middle of the city that you get. Are you seeing higher revenue and higher cost, or, or vice versa? Tell me what you're seeing in the denser portions. Well, in the denser portions, what we basically see is that the more, if you're, if you're lots in a particular area, if there's more structures on them for the same amount of acreage, then you're doing a whole lot better financially. Um, once you, if you get into properties that say a Walmart, where there's a taxable structure on there, but it's not a very, a very well-built structure, it's built to only last for 15 years, when, when you get to those type of properties where there's lots of parking, you're, you're paying a lot. You know, there's a lot of big roads next to them, but you're, the property taxes that you're getting from the Walmart and even the sales tax adding onto that is not, it's not paying enough, basically, in taxes to the city for it to be worth you know, having that development there. And so, and so areas, and we haven't done a study like this in Treeport before, um, but we find that a lot of the older core neighborhoods in cities that um, the ones that don't have vacancies are performing much well on a on a revenue per acre um, kind of metric, um, and that if you if you have if you don't pay attention to filling the vacancies where you do have vacant areas, then you're not going to do very well because you have all this all this land that you're not you're not using right, um, but you're paying to serve it for police, fire, roads, and all that, and so you know we find that if you if you focus on you know filling up your lots that are small and kind of densely um, inhabited, then you can you know you'll do better financially. And another part of that metric is when you see a development that's far away from the core of the city, mm-hmm. it it costs more money to get the water to that location, right, to get yeah. the fire to that location, to get the road to that location. So then you lose even more money per acre in getting out there or it costs more money per acre to get out there, and then all you have is a half-acre lot with a $300,000 house producing X amount of property taxes, and no sales tax because there's no there's no commercial activity going on in that neighborhood. It's just right, right. A, a place that, and, and then you, the parish loses money with the, uh, the um, homestead exemption. So, you know, those acres don't make a lot of money at all, right, but they right. all cost money. Right. So how is that? Do, can you elaborate on the, how that math is computed? When, let's just take a suburb that's 10 miles outside of the downtown core. Right, right. Um, yeah, so in that case, you know, while, while the, this, you know, the new subdivisions that are being built, they certainly, they do, you know, they do provide more revenue in the short term. And in, in, in what way is that? Um, well, you have new houses being built, right. so um, you get property taxes on that. You have new commercial properties, so you have new sales taxes being driven in um, but but what that's doing in the in the context of a city is it's not really it's not really creating new new like kind of sources of income for the city it's just shifting that around and so our city the economically you know a viable parts of our city is shifting around so our tax base is the same but meanwhile 
we're expanding, so our infrastructure and police and fire cost more, like, daily. The grid's getting bigger, yeah, and the money exactly. coming in stays the same. Right, right. Okay. And so... Um, How do you incentivize growth within the closer to the core of the city? Um, I think you have to... I think a lot of the answers to those questions are, like, like very, like, social questions. I think, okay. you know, when you talk about the crime perception in downtown, um, I don't know what you... Uh, you said you talked to Demetrius uh, last week. And yeah, I mean, yeah. Like, he probably has a ton of knowledge to, you know, being involved in Queensboro. And I think... Um, I think kind of tackling some of those. Um, now there is, you know, there is crime in certain areas of our city, um, and really all areas. It just sometimes the types of crimes varies depending mm-hmm. on where you're at. Yeah. Um, but I think, I th- I think, like combating some of those issues and and not expanding further because the more you expand, I mean, not only does that cost more to provide infrastructure, it costs more on your your police and fire. And it, you know, it doesn't do us any services to, you know, ask, you know, our police and fire services on a on the same budget, you know, to cover a greater, a greater area. And I think that's part of the reason too why we see, um, you know, some of the, some of the problems that we have. And so, um, yeah, all that to say, how do you incentivize it? I think, I mean, I think finding out, like, I mean, that's what our our analyses do is find out where you're tax producing, you know, revenue per acre wise properties are. And I think in the core of our city, that would look like a Louisiana Avenue. That would look like a Marshall Street. Um, like find those areas and find ways to to um, either incentivize it. Now, I don't think Shreveport has very much economic development dollars that we spend. I mean, Brandon works for the city, but I don't know if we have any money set aside for that, but you could certainly- Well, not necessarily economic incentives, I mean, more Again, civil engineering type. I mean, is, right. is there a way that, from a an engineering standpoint, or from a facilitating uh, e- the ease with which a business comes to operate? I mean, Jared Bevel talked about a parking lot issue that he had, and yeah. we can talk about parking till we're blue in the face. But you know, there's parking all up and down Marshall Street for free. Yeah. But so you know, when I ask my gotcha, guests that gotcha. question, I'm asking from I know there's a lot of social problems that need to be addressed before. Uh, we can get to anything else, but how can the city government or the parish government incentivize not financially, gotcha. incentivize more business to operate within the core of the city? Yeah, I think there could be more. Um, I'm on the board of Shreveport Common, mm-hmm. um, and I live there too. That's um, an exciting development. Yeah, it's very exciting. And one of the one of the biggest things that they do is like they have a very small area, but a lot of what they do is like, okay, this this is you know, this this is this property. Who owns it? You know, how are we going to get them to contribute to, I mean, they have a plan of their nine block area. Um, but one of the most effective things I've seen in that case is they they are like in direct contact with the property owners that are going to contribute to the success of their district. Okay. And so I think if the city found, if they found those, those areas that are really producing really well on a revenue per acre basis, I think if they, if they had some subcommittees that say you had a gosh, there's tons of committees in the city, but like if you had a redevelopment committee and like their sole job was to look at, okay, who owns these properties? What what do they want from their properties? And how can what they want overlap with what the city wants yeah. and then work towards a common solution? And the city wants more revenue per acre. Oh yeah. <laughs> so I mean like a good example of that would be what has happened since Boz took over Maryland's place years ago and then 
King Mexico is next, and then uh, Bird Appliance wasn't there before. Now Bird Appliance is there, and now Ono's Ono's opens up. They're producing revenue where they wasn't before. The, there's a storage guy there now, and then yeah. in the storage facility, there's a counterculture. There's a Louder's Bakery. Mm-hmm. There's something else in there, and that's all. If you look at the gra- again, it, the graph you showed me. I'm a visual person, so it makes a lot of sense when you see it on a graph. But the revenue for acre per acre in that location seven years ago would have been X. Right. If you look at a revenue per acre there now, maybe the cost per acre is the same, right? Yeah. But the revenue it per acre is, is same, like, yeah. what, a 5X? Oh, at least. I mean, you've got a whole new parking facility. You've got, you know, well, not only do you have new buildings, but the value of that old El Chico has increased. The value of Key Mexico's building has increased. Yep. And you've got all these sales taxes that are... You know that's part of the equation too, especially from the city side, because I think the city actually gets more in sales tax for its general budget than yeah. it does from property taxes. But they, they've increased the value of the property within walking distance of those places too now, right? You know, because you can walk to four different places to eat, drink, have fun, and you know. Oh yeah, yeah and you've so. got a you've got a walking path around the you know around the ditch. I wish that looked better. I wish it were a little more green than just. This well, thing. and that's kind of the thing. If if you the storage facility is not the greatest like thing to look at, but it's also it's storage. Like it's a place to keep the stuff that you can't keep at home. And it looks way better than most other storage. Sure, it does. and you have stuff that you can walk up to. Which, while I don't love that they used that space as storage, they put in spaces where it does encourage people. Right. to walk up now there's not a lot of trees and nice stuff to keep them there they kind of yeah. drive up and then drive away yeah. more it's, probably than they walk up but yeah it's not perfect but it's, no, it's a lot it's, better than what it oh, was absolutely for sure. yeah. and we had it's funny because we had the same conversation like internally at reform you know we were kind of like is this really what we want like do we really want a storage facility but i think um robert trudeau wrote a really good article about kind of the public process and that and like i mean credit um you know i know he's passed since then but credit ricky because he you know, there was there was some pushback, uh, and I think for good reason. But he responded, and the end in the end, the end product was a lot better than what it would have been. And you know, that's well, I mean, and, and maybe that maybe success. that's the thing, like opening up that that avenue to not just have somebody say, "Well, I'm putting this here," and whether you like it or not, you, you know, it's like, okay, you want some other services here. How do we how do we right. get that to to happen? Also, it's probably like, you know, if you're looking at a space but you know cost it's like hey if i get more rent from from yeah. people he's got commercial like, tenants downstairs right he's ma- you know he's making more money off of them i would assume than he would off someone storing their old clothes in there right right so, and, yeah I, mean, I i drove i don't know i guess we all want what we want but that's better than it, it may not be what we wanted but it's a lot better than it could have been it, if it, it was is just a straight it, storage it is a know. step forward yeah and I, it is it is you know uh it's if you look at it that way like and i think more and more people that's sort of this conversation is like more and more people are looking at it as yeah hey i didn't think i wanted it but it did turn into this thing and it is nicer than i thought it was going to be you know maryland is there like there's four places to eat five six places to eat now right in a you know several hundred yard yeah yeah you know and there's neighborhoods. Servicing Broadmoor on one side. Right. South Hounds on the other. Right. And, the, and like, you know, again, a lot of people don't want to go more than a block. But but 
you, you know, if you if you're inclined, you could walk from any of those neighborhoods to those things, or, or you know, get a Lyft or Uber or something if you don't want to. Or if you you're going to Maryland's and you're like, hey, I'm gonna go and it's brunch and I want to have some drinks, but I don't want to drive home. Get a car over there. It take you know, it's four or five dollars to do so. Yeah, and then four or five dollars to get home. Well, so. It, it's really not too far of a walk from Ellie and Chalk and Whisk and the Southfield Rhino, and then you have the the Starbucks, the Brookshires, the you know all that the former wine country. Uh, you know, it that neighborhood's becoming almost more walkable than well, downtown. Well, but all well, of all of those neighborhoods, like if you think about um, you know any of the places we've mentioned, Dallas or any of those places, they're all like it's the yeah, same thing. Spotty. We're yeah. with the same thing that's happening there is happening here. It's just a much smaller scale. And yeah, if we yeah. can identify ourselves as, oh, we're the small, friendly yeah. place. If you want to, like, you know, take the world by the horns or whatever, go over there. <laughs> yeah. Like, not that you can't do it here, but that's probably not as much your identity as as, as well, that over there. On identity, since you've written that article, have you seen Shreveport move towards a more cohesive understanding of its own identity? Um, I, I mean, in the people that I've talked to, yes, definitely. Um, I've seen, you know, a lot of success. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of people in Shreveport, so I'd be interested to hear, or I don't know what, you know, the conversation has been like in other, you know, among other groups of people too. Um, I mean, I try and, you know, I try and write about, you know, successes that are like already going on. And so, you know, I think, I think I've definitely seen some positive movement in that direction. I think we've seen a lot since... 14, so right, you know, right before you got here, I'd say, you know, it, I think it was a different town in 2012 or 2013. Yeah. I'd much rather be in this town than the 2011 report. Yeah. Um, I've seen both, and I, I think we're on a much better path. We're in a much better spot now. Um, so what, uh, what I usually ask folks is, uh, who's my next podcast guest? Who should I have on here? Um, we well, already had Demetrius. That was my, uh, Oh, that's going to be my first We'll have answer. him, I'd say, just because you asked, we'll have him as a part one and a part two. Oh, there we go. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I love what he's, I love all the stuff that he's doing. Um, let's see. I would, like, I would get uh, someone else from EAP on. I know I got a buddy named Nick Oliver. He works for EAP, too. Nick's a great um, guy. I really should reach out to Nick. But, but I might get in trouble with Julie. But, uh, <laughs> but I'll pick maybe or maybe Nick from and, Nick and Julie can come in here and do a podcast together and talk about EAP. Yeah, either him or yeah, uh, I forget his boss's name. But like, I think what they're doing is really important. You know, I've I've kind of focused on like quality of life and infrastructure and all that. But I mean, the economy, gosh, it's so important. And I think they're doing a lot of good work. So I always think I really enjoyed Jared's podcast too. Um, so yeah, Nick would be someone great to have on. Um, Have you seen the EAP, EAP billboards? Uh-uh. Okay, so i gotta I got to give a shout-out to Matt Snyder because these are evidently his brainchild. But I saw one yesterday, and I think Julie Gilley's picture was on it. Yeah. And it says, um, it says something like, scrap your business plan, just call me. Okay. You, you know, give, give your pitch or pitch yeah. your idea. It's very simple, very clear. But as soon as I saw it, I knew what it was. And it has EAP written on it, but it has their phone number, and it says... You know, basically, you don't need a business plan. Call us and give your pitch. Yeah. And I thought that was pretty powerful because it's it's an easy, simple ad. It has a face on it. I think it was Julie's face. I was so far away without my glasses, I couldn't see. 
But I immediately understood what they were saying. They were like, don't yeah. overanalyze this thing. If you have a thing, just come see us, pitch it, and if it's really a decent thing, we'll help you out with yeah. it. Bring an idea. Any idea will do. Yeah. You know, And if we don't end up doing your idea, yeah. hopefully we can encourage an idea that is is – you know, equally as, you know, yeah. opportunistic. Yeah, like your business plan that you have been, quote-unquote, working on for six months is never coming to fruition. Just go talk to them, and if you have something worth pursuing, they'll right, help right. you get it together. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think it would also be good to have someone, like, from the city side on. I think, I mean, you could talk to elected officials. I mean, mine are, you know, Lavette and Stephen. I've become good friends with Lavette and... Uh, friends with Steven too, but they would have a really unique perspective on what some of the challenges are from the city or parish side and, you know, implementing some of the changes that are wanted by citizens. Um, I think Brandon Fail, he would be really interesting to have on. Um, I've had coffee with him several times and um, I'm really interested in what he's doing. Um, yeah. EAP, Nick Oliver, Julie Gilley, Lavette Fuller, Steven Peterson. Uh, Stephen Jackson. Stephen Jackson. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I do want to have Peterson on here, too, though, talking about bike, bike Shreveport. Yeah. Um, there, there's another fellow that puts on uh, evening rides with light-up bikes. Yeah, uh, Gregory Powell. Gregory Powell. Yeah, he He's been be suggested as a guest as well, so we, we need to reach out to him. Have you been on one of those night rides? I have, yeah. They it's look fun. like a lot of fun. Yeah, and it's fun because it, like, it provides a different like atmosphere, too. Like It's just like, I don't know, I feel like there are so many... It's, I, al- it's always nice to like look out and see everybody on their bikes riding uh-huh. it even if it's like everybody's mad at each other it looks really fun yeah like because <laughs> the, the lights fun, yeah. And, yeah and it's like not that not that people are mad at it. i'm just saying even if like even they're just, just you see the bikes outside of a place like they were at sandbar the other day and it was like hey man there's like 15 people yeah. out you know it's 10 o'clock on it was like a friday night ride they wrote you know and then um i was getting home and as I went up the elevator, when I got up, I looked out the window, and they were all riding off. But it's it just looks like, looks you know, like a good time. it's fun, and it's relatively inexpensive to do. It's it's you know a fun, seems like a fun way to kind of be in the oh, city yeah. and and you get to meet a lot of new people and and now they've and Stephen they've kind of shifted to this, and this is what Gregory does too. Is they'll just go to a bunch of local restaurants, you know, and bars and stuff, and just kind of hop around. So. Fun thing. Um, if you're under 35, you're you're young. You're at, at, at how old? 26. 26. Wow. If you're under 30, why move to this town? Why not move to uh, to a bigger city to go make your mark? Well, I would say, I would say there's you know a lot of opportunities to get involved. I'd be lying if I said like, if you're like young and single and not married and having any kids, like it can be tough like to find friends and all that, but. Um, I think if you're willing to like become friends with a lot of different people and like people that aren't just strictly in your, you know, two or three year age range and do the exact same stuff that you do. Like, I mean, I, I'm ADD, so I'm interested in what everyone's, (laughs) everyone's doing. And so like, I think, yeah, I think there's a lot of interesting stuff going on. And if you've got, you know, the means to have a decent job here and I mean, I would say definitely, definitely come here. So lots of good food, lots of good shows going on do you so. do you do a lot of work here are you you were here and you're doing a lot of work for other because are you guys doing work for Shreveport um, we're not doing any work right now um, for Shreveport 
Um, it's kind of the nature of, of engineering that you kind of do projects all over. Most of the companies have several locations, um, I guess, especially civil engineering. But we hope to have some in the Shreveport, Louisiana area soon. But as, as of now, um, I work remotely and I wanted to stay here. And, you know, our company is flexible enough that, that we can. Yeah, because most so. of your work is you know, at, a, at a computer yeah, and, then, yeah. and then your phones and, you know. Because I think that that too, I've always I've always thought this could be a good place for that. If if you have the ability to have a remote job, it, it's it's inexpensive, but there is a lot of things to do. Oh yeah, so. I mean, <laughs> quality of life. I can get I can get Dallas pay and have a quality of life or not quality of life, uh, cost of living that's a lot less than Dallas. Yeah, so. <laughs> I yeah. definitely take advantage of that. But um, anyways, well, if you could send a text message to everybody in Shreveport, what would it say? I would say look around. I would say there's there's positive stuff everywhere, and look for it in places that you least expect it. Um, so I mentioned Lavette. Um, you know, she's on city council now, but we've I've gone on a lot of field trips. So like within reform, like one of the things we try and do is we have our public events and projects that we put on, but we also try and like visit a lot of different parts of the city. We visited parts of Queensboro and. Demetrius, we visited parts of like West Shreveport all the way out in Pines Road, just visiting with different people that are like really passionate and like there's stuff going on, but you, you don't always see it in the news. And like we visited uh, a few places down by like all the Key Mexico stuff that was happening, um, down by the medical corridor and, um, you know, the health sciences, LSU health area. But like there's a lot of stuff going on in a lot of different places. Sometimes you just have to look. And so, like, just like be open to, be open to good things, good things happening, and find ways to, you know, let people know about that. Because like sometimes people just need more people talking about what they're what they're doing. So well, good deal. How can people find out more about about you, Reform Shreveport, get in contact with you? Um, you can go to our Facebook page. Our website is reformshreveport.com. Um, you can uh, you can find me on Facebook. Um, Contact me through Reform Shreveport too. So that's I, Tim. Uh, that's T I M. Right is W R G H T. Yes. Yeah. Find you on Facebook. You're on the you're Twitter. on the Twitter. Yep. That's what the kids Instagram. do. Instagram. Yeah. Oh, the kids are into the Instagram. That's right. Got to post my my Shreveport pics. Okay. All right. And you, that's where you hashtag. That's right. Reform Shreveport. Hashtag Reform Shreveport. Hashtag What if we could? That's our official. Hash- well, then has someone already claimed this other hashtag? I don't think so. Well, I mean, could. that's just claimed by default, though. Oh, goodness. All right, so what is the claim? What, what if you could? What if, if we, we could? could? What if we could? Hash- okay. Hashtag what if we could? All right, that's the pound sign. That is, yes. All right, that's the Instagram, or is that the Twitter? That is, no. That's our official hashtag. We use that on all platforms. Also. Oh, you don't have to. That's not relegated to one of the. T- okay, all right. What about the Snapchat? We don't do Snapchat. Okay, that's for like three social medias is enough for me. I, I think that's for the Gen Zers. I right? understand the Facebook thing because <laughs> it came out when I was still in my twenties. Um, well, Tim, I think I've asked you all the questions I can ask you today. Awesome, that was a lot of questions. Well, thank, thank I'm you kind for of being exhausted. here. No, just kidding. No, this was this was a lot of fun. I enjoyed enjoyed being here. Well, we so. appreciate your knowledge, and I think we should have you on again and, and get into the weeds of some of this. Um, Absolutely. Some of the civil engineering and, and some reform Shreveport. But um, we'll post links to all the upcoming reform Shreveport stuff on November the... November the 19th. Yeah. 
and post all that stuff and, and send me some send me some links and we'll put them up. Sounds good. Thanks a lot. Thank you.